Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today I'm hanging out with Jeremy Jackson of Shift Lab based in New York City. Jeremy's passion is pairing excellent design and technology to create beautifully crafted digital products. He's been working in product development, UX, graphic design, and development for the web since the mid-90s and was director of technology at the Innovative International Digital Product and Design Studio Method. He's had client, he's worked with clients like Facebook, Google, TD Ameritrade, and Microsoft. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Brent. So Jeremy, can you paint us a picture of your agency today? What is Shift Lab all about? Yeah, so we're um, we're about nine years in at this point. I started the company back in 2012. Um, we now have two different locations. We're headquartered in New York City, but we also have a, a second location in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And really the impetus behind creating um, the firm in the first place was trying to create a, a technology-focused agency that um, really tried to build processes around getting designers and developers to uh, collaborate in, in meaningful ways. Um, I think that what we've seen in the industry you know, over the past 20 years is sort of this butting of heads between designers and developers. And while things have gotten better, um, they're just such different mindsets that we really wanted to differentiate ourselves by really creating these processes and welcoming, welcoming that collaboration and, and putting transparency into our processes processes so that we're sort of iterating through what we're building and making sure that we're building the best possible thing we can. Why do you feel like designers and developers sometimes butt heads? Well, I think, and this is just what I've seen over the, you know, 20 years of doing this is, you know, I think sometimes if, if design is happening in a vacuum, right, away from development or, you know, the opposite is true, they're very different mindsets. They're very different skill sets. They're very different ways of thinking. And I think that, you know, if designers are left, you know, in the absence of technology to design a thing, it's, it's very common that things would go off the rails, right? Where they might design a thing that can't be built within the time frame that it needs to launch in, or, you know, it, it can't be built within the budget that it needs to be built within. And then I think on the, on the development side, without having those real collaborative conversations with designers, um, sometimes the intent of the design is missed. Uh, because if you're just being handed um, static designs, um, there's a lot of the in-between in there for people to fill in the blanks. And I think, you know, it's, it's pretty reasonable that people are going to miss, miss the mark unless they have like real relationships across these different disciplines. You mentioned that Shift has two locations. So about how many uh, folks are on the Shift team right now? So we're about 20 people at this point, um, about half of our team in each location. So we try to keep it around 50-50. Yeah. So, you know, we, we started the Lancaster location, I would say, probably close to five years ago and have been slowly building that presence out. 
when you got, I mean, so, so an agency that's kind of touting part of your unique value is creating this collaborative conversation between designers and developers. I mean, what what part of your background has led you to create and focus your agency on that mindset? I mean, were you a part of teams where there was a lot of issue around that? I mean, that's just a very unique positioning in the marketplace. Yeah, I think um, definitely my background and my education plays into my desire to build an agency like this. So, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have a computer in the mid nineties, right. And, and, and just started figuring out how the web works just because I'm, I'm a tinker and a, and a curious person. And then, you know, wound up going to school for design and, and really formally focusing on graphic design. So I think having those two mindsets just out of the gate um, and being able to fill positions like, you know, in the early days of the web, I did design and development positions where I was designing and then developing what I built really helped me understand um, the differences between those two mindsets. And then um, having worked in the agency world after that, um, seeing those gaps that existed between the teams and, and seeing opportunities for improvement and communication and transparency and process and all that good stuff to get everybody basically rowing in the same direction. So you mentioned you guys have about 20 people on your team right now. What's what's the makeup in terms of uh, the different roles that you guys have built within the agency? Yeah, so most people are uh, developers at various levels. So from junior developers up through leads, um, we have a director of technology. And then, you know, on the project management side, uh, we have, you know, uh, a project manager who's, who serves as a scrum master and helps us, you know, grease the wheels on process, agile process, and make sure that everything's running smoothly and, and, and on schedule. And then we have um, a UX lead and product manager um, who helps us make sure that, you know, as we're lining up things to actually build them and put them in the queue for the process and the team to solve these problems, that they're actually solving the right problems according to whatever the business needs are for the client that we're working with. Very cool. What have been some of your challenges over the last few years? You mentioned you've been doing this for nine years. So you're coming up on a, a 10 year celebration. Uh, what are, uh, you know, and going from a small team or a founder to 20 people over nine years, I think a lot of our audience uh, can relate with that being that's, that's hard in the agency space, getting to, to 20 yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, nobody, I mean, 10 years blows my mind um, coming up on that. That's quite a milestone for running an agency. It's definitely not an easy thing to do. Um, I think that like, you know, we could talk for hours about the challenges, no doubt, but I think, you know, some of the things that we've solved over, you know, the last maybe three or four years of really trying to figure out how to mature the agency and and what that means in, in terms of scaling it, right. And continuing to grow. We've had, you know, 35 to 40% revenue growth year over year. So we do grow at a fairly rapid rate. And um, we needed to figure out how our process worked and who the key people were in the process that we sort of need to clone, right? So if we need to clone somebody and and have another agile pod, um, we can sort of grow the company, you know, out horizontally that way. And so that was one of the things of just figuring out who we needed to replicate, what roles we needed to replicate, and, and what our hiring strategy would be to achieve those goals and keep up with the, with the demand of the work. And then I think, you know, the other things and the challenges that I faced were really very personal ones as, as a founder in that, you know, I had to really figure out what my own value was to the company and to the people that work here 
And, you know, for me, it, when I started the company, it was really just about doing good work. I enjoyed being a practitioner and, and, and doing the work. But, you know, through this process of, of leading an agency, I find that that's not really the value that I bring. It, you know, the value that I bring is, is figuring out, you know, what our mission and, and core values are, who we want to work with, the types of projects that we want to work on, making sure that I'm doing a good job of bringing in that work to feed our team. So, you know, some of it was just, you know, maturity on my own part of just you know, really figuring out again, where my time can be best spent uh, for everybody you know, that works here. And, and of course, for our clients. You mentioned an agile pod. What does that mean? Yeah. So the, uh, agile development services are, you know, just basically what, what our core product is, is, is that is what we're selling to our client teams and, or our, our, our clients. They basically get an agile team. And typically that would be, you know, one lead developer and two or three developers working underneath them. So that would, to us would be an agile pod. And along with that comes, you know, some director time, some project manager time, you know, some product manager time if, if it's needed. So um, we basically set, we, we uh, contract out these pods and allow them to work autonomously and focus full time on solving whatever problem they're being asked to solve for our client. So out of curiosity, so how does that work from a billing standpoint? So that team is, the pod is dedicated to that account for a period of time. They're not, you know, they're not managing multiple projects. I mean, maybe they're, they're managing multiple priorities or features within a project or within a client relationship, but they're really dedicated to that account. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, typically that's true. Um, I mean, we do try to cycle people in and out after you know a period of months, six months or so. We we try to make sure that we get some fresh faces involved, so that you know our clients aren't bit by things. You know, you know, people getting other priorities or people moving on from the team or whatever the case may be, and and just making sure that we're sharing the knowledge internally about how to run that particular client's uh, technical needs and making sure that everybody's up to speed on what they actually need. We also try to keep about you know, 30% of our business focused on ongoing efforts with our clients. We have you know, lasting relationships with 90% of the people that we work with. And again, that makes up about 30% of our revenue year over year. And th- that, that team is what we call the bench. So if you're on a, an Agile pod for a while and maybe your product launches and there's a period of, of pause in active development, you might go and work with another client over on the bench for a bit until you get put onto another agile pod. So that that's kind of a mix of, you know, just a way to keep everybody, you know, billable and, and, and busy. And it's also a great training strategy. So we might bring in a, a, a junior developer and get them exposure to all kinds of different projects, working with lots of different kinds of clients. And then, you know, before then, before you know it, they have this like, great skill set and, you know, can very quickly become an asset to the team. Hey, agency owners, are you currently building, managing, or optimizing WordPress websites and struggling to keep up or becoming the bottleneck? I'm excited to announce Unlimited WP, a white-label team that can help you do more with less. Whether you're building a WordPress website, doing updates, or maintenance and backups, you can assign all those tasks and more to Unlimited WP so you can free your time, make more money, and focus on what's most important. Get 25% off your first month by using the code DAS2020 at unlimitedwp.com to start today. Now let's get back to our interview. So, so you mentioned that it's they're kind of dedicated to an account. The team size can vary. So is that 
how are you guys billing for that? Like, what's the proposal look like? Is it just like, hey, we're going to put this team with you for three months and this is what it's going to cost? Or are you going in there and like specking and feature setting out stuff? I mean, I assume with Agile, you're always creating new priorities from a product backlog and things like that. Like it's not necessarily fixed in concrete. Uh, So how are you creating that in terms of a billing relationship with your clients? Yeah. I mean, first of all, the, the, the problems that we're typically being asked to solve are non-standard. I mean, we, we're typically being asked to solve very specific business issues, and they're looking to leverage specific technologies to solve those problems. So almost everything that we're doing, we're figuring it out for the first time in, through, the, through the process of working um, with these companies. So that sort of means that like a fixed bid engagement is out the window. Right. Um, but that said, I mean, we, we, we do try to, you know, not go into these really deep technical strategies before we're actually contracted. That's usually an output of, of the contract and, and the work that we're doing. But you don't get to win the work unless you help the client believe that you can actually solve their problem and show them how you're going to do that from A to Z. So, you know, when we initially start these conversations with most of our clients, we are digging in a little bit and, and really you know, putting pen to paper and figuring out what a roadmap might look like for them to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. And then through that, we're basically contracting some type of time and materials agreement, right? Knowing that collectively at the end of 16 or 20 or however many weeks that we do need to launch a product for them. And then we'll align the process to, um, to make sure that we're heading in that direction. I know a lot of agency owners struggle selling within that kind of ambiguity. I know that you guys are coming in and said, Hey, we're going to solve these specific problems and there's some kind of outcome. But, uh, can you talk a little bit about like objections that you get in the sales process when you're not coming at it from a fixed price? Cause I just know a lot of people struggle with that, right? That their client wants something yeah. specific. They want the the marching orders, which in some cases or many cases it's counterproductive because you're scoping something out. And then as you're doing the work, you're learning stuff that might change the requirements. And then you're stuck in this kind of scope of work. But, you know, that sounds all well and good after the fact. But before, I find a lot of clients might push back on not having a specific scope or that certainty. Um, I mean, how are you dealing with that when you're in those sales meetings and client negotiations? Yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, what what we're really selling is the process. So, you know, it's through that process. And this is sort of how I explain it to people. It's through that process that allows us to achieve, you know, predictability and quality in whatever we're delivering. So without that process, all bets are off. And um, so we do, we do have to get people comfortable with that process. Most of our clients are already sort of in the know on Agile a little bit. They kind of get it. But you definitely, you know, we have missed some opportunities because we're not willing to put a fixed fixed price on something. And 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 I think I'm okay with that. I think, you know, if if people don't want to lean on the process, I understand, right? It, it, it is one of the real challenges of being a, a developer in that you know, the people that are buying your services don't typically, you know, have a super strong understanding of it. So there's definitely some knowledge gaps there um, that need to be covered. So my, my point of view around, you know, people don't want to, you know, buy into the process and, and believe in the process, but they're probably not buying what we're selling. And that's okay. I think there are a lot of other firms out there that, um, you know, perform a little better on the, on, 
on maybe smaller scale projects are, are, are more comfortable than doing the fixed bids. And I love this mindset of being okay with something that is not a good fit. I get the impression that maybe, I mean, have you ever chased a project or won a project and kind of bent your rules and found yourself maybe in an unpleasant situation? Yeah, yeah. Trust me, being okay with it is not just something that that like I just automatically have arrived at. It's 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 been uh, you know I've had to learn many times, right? Of of like who we are and who we aren't, and and what are we good at, and what do we think we're better at than other people, and and that to me, going back to like what my value is in the company is very much those kinds of conversations where you know we we are really doing these existential conversations internally and and retrospectives and looking at where we perform well and where we don't and why, and then using that to inform how we get future work or what kind of opportunities that we really want to pursue and things like that. You mentioned earlier that your teams, you know, you assign teams to these accounts, these projects for a period of time, and you kind of let them operate autonomously to some level. I mean, that they get some oversight from a director, project manager, potentially a product manager. What can this actually is a question from one of our audience uh, members in our, our Facebook community, uh, Anastasios. Uh, what are some of the KPIs that you currently have in place around your team? So I assume if you're letting people operate independently, is there any kind of scorecard or numbers that you're trying to keep track of to make sure that your team's on track and that they're doing what they say they're going to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, on the business side, you know, one of the, one of the key performance indicators is, is billability, right? So we have to set up reasonable billable goals for, you know, basically everyone on the team to make sure that, you know, we get, you know, to where we need to be as a business. And, and for us, that number is 80% for most developers here. And so that, that means that we give them 20% to do other things, to learn and do training or participate in external meetings or help us win new work or whatever the case may be. So that one we do through, of course, timesheets, which is everybody's favorite topic. The, the key performance indicators inside of an actual functioning team or pod really is comes through the agile process again. And we use JIRA as many teams do. And, um, you know, we'll use conversations around velocity and looking at, you know, the frequency of new issues being logged or um, we look for developer churn, all that kind of stuff within the reports that JIRA gives us. And that, that really gives us, you know, if there is dysfunction within a project, that usually gives us the tools that we need to be able to identify what those problems are and then take it to a retrospective and potentially fix it, you know, collaboratively. I couldn't help but notice your kind of a remark about timesheets and... <laughs> maybe some of the mindset or culture around timesheets. So you, so it sounds like you are pretty committed to this, right? You're using time on billable work as one of your KPIs. Have you as a leader and as a team struggled with this? I mean, I, I talk to like probably well over a thousand agency owners a year and tracking time is, is just one of those things. Like some people, don't like it. They do it though. They make sure that they're really on point with it. Uh, other teams struggle, right? They just don't get the accurate information in there. And, and obviously that causes all sorts of, of issues. So what are some of the things that you guys have done to make that work? Yeah, uh, it, it's a constant conversation. Some of it's just like, like 
super boring and, and repetitive in that it's like, okay, everybody get your timesheets in, you know, I, I think every agency has some version of that. But I, I think like just by nature of being a time and materials company, right? It, everybody gets it. So, I mean, I don't think that we have that many problems in terms of, of time. She's just, they're just boring for us. I think there, there's a lot of insights that you can get out of them. Like, obviously if we had originally thought that, you know, a feature was going to cost $100 and then it cost $500. Well then through timesheets, I can figure that out and we can get better at doing that the next time. Right. Or likewise, if, you know, we have somebody who is working on multiple projects and they are continuously working, you know, over 40 hours a week, I want those numbers so that I can get them the work life balance that they need. So, you know, I think, I think it's in everybody's best interest, at least within the way that we work here is that, that we you know, keep time sheets and keep an accurate accounting of our time. And then of course, because we're, we're time and materials too, we want to provide our clients transparency so that they can feel good about knowing that they got what they paid for as well. So I think it's just, um, you know, uh, accountability all around is probably the biggest benefit to having, you know, everyone sort of participate in that. What do you think has been your secret or key to getting some of these large brands as clients? So to say that Facebook is a client, that Google is a client, obviously, you know, Microsoft, these companies have a lot of internal developers and such on their teams, right? I mean, and they're bringing you in as an outside an outside company come in and help them to solve problems. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to kind of understand, you know, how are you getting into these relationships from a, from a high level? And also, um, you know, what's, what's their driver and, and how are you, you know, pitching your, your value proposition to, to be a unique value add to their, uh, to, to solve their problems? Sure. Yeah. I mean, all these companies do very commonly reach for agency support. Um, you know, I think, I think the common thread that I see between, you know, a lot of these large companies is that most of their internal development resources and design resources are pretty much, you know, accounted for like their time is accounted for in working on their core product. So if we're, you know, being asked to create a, you know, some ancillary app or whatever the case may be, um, they're typically going to reach for agency help for that. Um, which is great. Um, we've basically gotten most of these relationships in some way. It's been um, just in, within my network and people that I've worked with in the past. Um, you know, I've just been fortunate to you know work with a lot of really talented people, and those people tend to go everywhere. And you know, so I, I get these connections into you know a lot of these very you know large blue chip tech companies, which is good for us. But uh, that's usually how those relationships start, just by having you know, a positive story from who knows, maybe, you know, 10 plus years ago working together and, and um, they bring us into part of conversation when we have a specific need. Are you doing anything to maintain top of mind or to be checking in with these relationships and, and people that you uh, have, have met over the years? Yeah, I think I could definitely do more. But, um, I, you know, I, I think that that's sort of like, you know, one of the downsides of being a... Uh, a smaller agency is that, you know, like we don't have a sales team. Right. So, um, I, I kind of do it, um, when I have time, but there are definitely, you know, a small list of people that I, I, I do want to be top of mind with. And I do make an effort to reach out to, and, you know, even if it's just have a cup of coffee or whatever the case may be, but, um, yeah, for the, for the most part, um, the demand for our services has been, you know, very much word of mouth. We do a little bit of marketing and PR, but you know, we could do a lot more. 
Hey, what's up, agency owners? As someone that's built hundreds of websites for clients over the last 20 years, I know how important it is to have a content management system that is fast to set up and delivers my clients' websites with the speed the internet demands. If you're looking for a new CMS, I'd like to introduce you to a new platform called Zephyr, a content management system built for power users and agencies. Build websites faster, make clients happier. Find out more at ZephyrCMS.com and get one free site for life and a free theme set up valued at $500. That's ZephyrCMS.com. Now let's get back to our interview. You mentioned earlier that your value to the company is really setting mission core values and also defining who you should be working with, who's your ideal client. What are the specific strategies or tactics that you've used to create that vision and direction for the agency? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, in terms of starting the agency in general, it's just it, the mindset was always just trying to do good work with good people, like just enjoying yourself at work and building things that you think are interesting. And, and I, I try to keep things just as simple as that you know, even, you know, nine years in, uh, is, you know, I look back on all the things that have gone really well for us. And one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, the, the retention that we have is that people come here and they stay here. And, uh, I'm super proud of that. It tells me that we're doing a lot of things right. And, and one of the things that I think why developers want to stay here and grow their career is like, they, they want to work on the latest and greatest technologies. So, part of our mindset is like, okay, what's going to keep us working in the latest and greatest? We don't want to get stuck in, in, in older technologies or specialized things that we're not interested in. So how, how do these technologies move? How do we get, you know, training on new frameworks or, you know, languages or whatever? And um, how do we make sure that we, when we get those opportunities, that we have the people here to win the opportunity and then be successful in actually delivering the product? Um, so that's, a, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about things like that. Um, and then end of year, every year, we always talk about it, the projects that we've done. And then we always kind of open it up for discussion and, and say, what, what aren't we doing? What, what verticals do we want to be working in that we're currently not? And um, this past year, things like automotive and, you know, VR and all these, you know, a, a bunch of good ideas came out of that. And then we take that into the next year and we're like, okay, well, how do we now start to gather internal knowledge on these things so that, you know, when the opportunity comes to us, we'll be ready. You mentioned you open this discussion at the end of the year. That's with leadership within the business or that's a total cross company. Everybody gets in the room, gets a say in that kind of conversation. Yeah. And it happens a couple of different ways. So first off, we have a really open and transparent conversation every quarter on company performance, you know, how we're tracking the bonus goals, all that good stuff. And then as we get to end of year, we, we actually do this two times a year. End of year is the big one where we, where there is a one-on-one -on -one with everybody that works here with our director of technology, Adam, he sits down and we talk about these things. Um, we also do it again in July. Um, but it, we basically distill that all down and, and find, you know, common characteristics uh, with, among all these conversations and figure out, you know, which ones we want to act on. And then we all talk about that together as a, as a the whole team. Very cool. Uh, you mentioned just cause I, I hear this come up a lot with agencies wondering how to give bonuses to more creative talent. I mean, I think in the sales space or maybe even in leadership or project management, right. There's maybe easier 
KPIs and things like that. How are you, are, are you bonusing uh, developers within the agency and what does that look like? Yeah, everybody that works here is in our bonus plan. Um, it is a percentage of your salary. And um, we try to keep it really, really simple because bonus plans can get very complex. Um, we, what we do is we look at our revenue from the last year. We usually do this at the end, you know, mid to end of quarter four. We'll look at our revenue and where we think we're going to be when the year ends. And then we'll start to think about what our revenue goal should be in, in the next year. We'll do a bit of planning and we basically set a magic number. And that, that, that magic number should account for our revenue. And then however much we plan on growing the team that year, we'll get this magic number. And then what we constantly talk about is like, is our revenue going to hit this number? If the answer is yes, everybody gets their bonus. It's just that simple. So, you know, that's what we talk about when we, when we talk quarterly, we're just like, you know, I, I just cut to the chase. I'm like, everybody just wants to know if we're going to get our bonuses. Right. So let's just talk about that. And then we, <laughs> we try to show some infographics and uh, talk about how we're tracking to our goals. And fortunately, since we've rolled it out, we've been kind of nailing that. So it's been pretty easy conversations. <laughs> nice. That's a, that's a, it's a more fun conversation to have than, uh, totally. you know, hey, does so everyone want to know? Easier. Does everyone want to know that uh, if you're getting your bonus, uh, guess what? You're not, right? I mean, that, that obviously wouldn't yeah. be as funny. I, I love your, your, your mindset. Obviously, you guys are, your, your team is doing great work. You're continuing to get some big name clients and your your growth trend is really impressive and you have kind of this simple mindset or, or not simple mindset simplicity mindset around how you're structuring the business and I think that that's key because this is I think running an agency is really easy to overcomplicate things to you know almost become your own your own worst enemy in growing the business and it sounds to me like that simplicity mindset has been benefiting you and your team and your vision and your growth. So uh, big congrats on that. Jeremy, are you ready for our lightning round? I guess so. Let's do it. <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I ever received. Jeez, that is a tough one. I've, I've been fortunate to have it work with a lot of really good people and, and, and smart people. So it's hard to boil that down into, into just one. I, I think bucking, you know, my dad always told me that work wasn't supposed to be fun. So um, I basically spent my entire career trying to prove him wrong. And I'm doing pretty well there. So it's not exactly advice, but it was uh, advice that I'm trying to make not true. <laughs> Almost anti-advice. Maybe that was yeah, his, right. maybe he knew enough about you to give you that. Uh, the, the, uh, he knew you were going to do the opposite. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. He's a pretty old school guy, so I think I just came from that that, that kind of blue collar place. <laughs> Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Uh, all obsessiveness, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, I think that's that when I got a computer, you know, in like '95 or whatever year it was, and just figuring out how the web worked for no reason, just other than I was curious, and and um, you know, I think that trait has been really beneficial to have as a business owner. Can you share an internet resource, a tool, or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? Yeah, I, I almost hate to say it, but it, but it, but it is Jira, and I and I went into Jira kicking and screaming years ago, but now I cannot live without it. Um, in terms of just managing development teams, multiple development teams, and then figuring out how things are going, I, I just couldn't live without that. And what book would you recommend, and why? 
So I think, I, I think it's called Scrum, the art of doing twice as much in half the time. I think that's what it's called. Um, that is a book that uh, I've given to several people here in our company and just um, helping them understand the benefits of Agile and, and, and working in Scrum and figuring out, you know, why process is important and which parts are the most important because you don't want to have a process that's just built around dogma. You have to understand why. Awesome. We will definitely link out to Scrum, the art of doing it twice as much in half the time, along with a ton of other tips, takeaways, quotables from this episode with Jeremy at our show notes, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this week of, then you'll see Jeremy's photo right up there at the top. Click on that guy and you'll see all those cool notes and takeaways. Jeremy, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, you can um, check out our website at shiftlab.co. Um, there's a new section there that um, has kind of latest thinking or you know projects, and um, you can get you know more information on our work and processes there. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to link out to shiftlab.co again at our show notes, yougurus.com slash podcast. So if you're on the road or on a run or like me on my bike, then uh, we'll organize all that stuff for you on our website. So go check that out. Jeremy, thanks so much for stopping by the Digital Agency Show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Brent. I appreciate it. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Brent Weaver.